<laughs> Hello and what? welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. Welcome, Shona. Thank you, Emma. Welcome, Andy. Why, thank you, both of you. <laughs> oh, that so accent was lovely. Speaking voices today. Andy, you need to welcome Emma. Uh, Emma, welcome. <laughs> Why, thank welcome, you. Welcome, listeners. Welcome to all. Welcome along. Welcome along to this podcast. We have some questions. And we have some answers. <laughs> <laughs> Just like uh, that. What's your favourite Scottish word? Shan. <laughs> we, if, what was that? Shan. <laughs> Shan. Yeah. You're pure Shan. Yeah, pure I've Shan. I've never heard, is that a Dundee word? I've never heard that. It's an Edinburgh word. Uh, you're pure Shan. That's pure Shan. Yeah. Oh. What does it mean? It, it has its own meaning, really. Um, I don't actually know how to describe it. Like, it's basically like, it can be used as like, that's a shame. Like, yeah. oh, that's a shame. Like, you, instead of being like, oh, that's a shame, you'd be like, oh, that's Shan. Oh, yeah. right, okay. Not that I would Shan. ever say that, but I quite like it. Mm. Mine's can't be said on a podcast. Is it, it has, Bobag? It has no that's that's a great word, but it has four letters. It has a C, a U, and a T. That's not a Scottish word. Yes, it is. We have it. We use it mostly and it's used as a term of endearment, right. a greeting, a way to say goodbye to people, it's used as an insult, mm. everything. It's great. So versatile. What's mine, yours, Shona? Uh, mine is Joby, and it made me laugh. A so if you don't know what a Joby is, it's a poo. Um, a it made me laugh that Catherine thought it meant hand job. <laughs> Didn't no, she no, say blow job? Blow job. Oh, blow job. <laughs> She's like, do you want a Joby? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yes. I've had plenty of caffeine this morning. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's, um, it's really lucky that Catherine's gay, isn't it? That could have gone down very badly. Yeah, that's true. Well, it would have if it was a jobby. <laughs> <laughs> Which does link into a question that we got uh, on the in the Commit to Six group about why uh, drinking coffee makes you poo. And it's because it stimulates your sphincter. Or your rectum. Yeah. A there vasodilator of all... Well, I think it, uh, what did it say? It was a very strange wording. Let me find it. I also, for years and years after I moved up, didn't know what the word jobby meant. And I always just used to nod along when people said it. Like, ha yeah. No idea what it means. <laughs> I it, what, what was strange about the thing you posted? It was like, it's something about the desire to defecate. Yeah, yeah, that's what it says. Ooh, it says. It sounds really sexy. It says... <laughs> <laughs> The researchers found that ingesting caffeine led to stronger anal sphincter contractions and an increased desire to defecate. Seeing it in that voice, you'd probably get paid very highly to do that over You're a phone all call. You're welcome. The desire to defecate. <sighs> Imagine you said that instead of, oh, I just need to go to the toilet. Sorry, excuse me, I have the desire to defecate. <laughs> Or I need a jobby. <laughs> that would be the difference. You'd be like, I need a jobby. And I'd be like, I have the desire. One has the desire. 
Dearie me. chat. Shall we answer some questions then? Yeah. Right. Okay. So let's start with this one. It's a good one again from Portia. I know it's been mentioned a couple of times on the podcast about genetics and the experiment where people were told that they were genetically predisposed to feeling more hunger showed increased ghrelin levels. So I was wondering, can something similar happen when we start a diet? If we think that we're going to be super hungry because we've lowered our calories, can the ghrelin levels respond similarly based purely on what you think and not based on reduced calorie intake? Yes, would be the answer. Um, So another study from the same research group, I'm pretty sure, that I've spoken about numerous times, it's the milkshake study, where they give people basically they blind people and they give people what they think is a very indulgent milkshake. So it's got a label on it that's like super chocolate milkshake. And they give them that and they measure their ghrelin levels afterwards. And then they come back another day and they get another milkshake that's like a slim, fast, skinny milkshake. They measure their ghrelin levels afterwards. Now, after the indulgent shake, they have lower hunger levels, both perceived and hormonal via ghrelin. Even though the shake is exactly the same, it's just the label is different. So your expectation has an impact, like a real physiological impact on your hunger. So if you're telling yourself constantly, I'm on a diet, I'm going to be really hungry, then the likelihood is both on a psychological level and a physiological level, you probably will be. And one way kind of around this, like there's numerous benefits to um, high volume foods. And we know that some of your drive to eat actually comes from the weight of the food. So you might eat the same volume or weight of food irrespective of the calorie density of that food so there's loads of benefits to volume but one of them is also you expect expect to be fuller after eating a larger portion of food whether that is 600 calories or 300 calories so yeah very very good question Portia do you know I think she should do EIQ I think she'd like it yeah she would love it Okay, how much sugar is too much? Tracking in my fitness pal can vary from 80 grams to 190 grams a day. I'm considered a healthy body weight for my height at 52 kilos, but conscious of my sweet tooth and would like to be healthy. Um, I, I would look more at um, where the sugar's coming from. So if you're like, yeah, I don't really eat that much chocolate or sweets, but I've got quite a high sugar intake, maybe because I eat quite a lot of fruit. I'm not really yeah. fast. I wouldn't stress over it, especially if you're in a healthy weight range. We can actually handle like this kind of myth that sugar causes type two diabetes is not true. Like if you're pretty lean, you can eat quite a lot of sugar. I'm not recommending that you do, but you can absolutely handle eating a lot of sugar. Like your body is primed to do that. So yeah, I'm I'm not overly worried about sugar consumption. No, I don't think my fitness pal kind of um, distinguishes between where the sugar comes from either. It's just sugar from fruit, sweeties, whatever it is that you're taking in is going to be chucked in one. So we don't stress too much about it. It's another one of these ones with my fitness pal that you kind of have to be a bit wary of um, the fact that it's potentially telling you something that you're going to be worried about when actually you don't need to be. Exactly. As long as your like, heart's not racing. The thing is with the my fitness pal is it's like, we don't even know if these things are accurate because it is like, what do you call that? User 
generated or something. Yeah, some, yeah. there's a lot of inaccuracies, not only in yeah. the fact that anyone can put in anything to MyFitnessPal, but mm-hmm. I know that there are ones that are verified, but even then, packaging is allowed to be 20% wrong. And yeah, like really what we care about is the quality of your diet. So if you're hitting all of the targets we've asked you to hit, you can't really eat too much crap within your diet anyway. Like if you're hitting minimum fat target, getting in some oily fish, if you're someone who eats fish, getting in some olive oil, um, getting in your protein amount, uh, getting in enough fruit and veg, like there isn't really much space to quote unquote go wrong or have an unhealthy diet within that and hitting your calorie target. Mm. So that's why we don't sort of anally look at these things because they're already kind of accounted for in the targets that we've given you. Mm-hmm. What's that? <laughs> What's that noise? <laughs> it sounded like a truck was coming into the podcast. <laughs> Probably something going past my window. Yeah. It's Andy's creatine delivery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Three to five grams daily for life. <laughs> Yeah, I just buy my lifetime supply. <laughs> okay, um, this one, it's a short question, but there's a little bit of context. How do you know when dialing it back due to stress and mental health is okay and when it's making excuses? So this person in their check-in, um, they've recently had a bereavement and they're having to do like a lot of like family stuff and you know just all the other things that come along with that and she's not sure if like so she set herself a few easy slash manageable non-negotiables but she's not sure if she's like setting the bar too low and she's thinking that she's making excuses so that's basically the context of that question does anyone want to start it's a really hard one isn't it because like there's no right answer there's no right answer and it because it depends on the person like I know and probably Andy and Emma are the same same as me that when stuff like that happens in my life I kind of go into like an overdrive and it's like I push against it and I become more proactive and more like productive and and I just add more and more onto my plate and it kind of like keeps me really busy and then suddenly there's a boom and it's like Shona that was too much the adrenaline hits and everything falls apart so I mean it kind of depends on on how you deal with these things yeah I think that's often a way to avoid it isn't it like keeping mega busy like I know Mm -hmm. if I've had like bad breakups or something I'm like oh well I'll just uh start a new business start another business (laughs) (laughs) so how many relationships have you had yeah five same number as my businesses yeah um (laughs) At least it's five and not 555. This is true. This is true. Can you imagine if you named each business after the person that had broken your heart? <laughs> that would be sad. That would be funny. Or just use like the each of their letters of their name as like a something. I don't know. Yeah, where be. does the E from EIQ come from? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> what, what does that A in AFM stand for? Well... Um, no, I think it is hard. I, I think like listening to your, oh my God, sorry, but there's a man standing right on top of a massive, okay, right. I'm slightly distracted. Um, I can't remember what we were talking about now. I'm a little bit worried about that man. 
I think he'll be okay. Um, yeah, I think also knowing that this is a, a short period of time and probably yeah. like this happens throughout life, right? Things become a higher priority than exercise at the moment. And it's absolutely fantastic that you're still like identifying, you know, some baseline level of non-negotiables that you still do. Like maybe you're still getting in your steps. You're still making sure that you largely eat a protein-based breakfast and getting in your fruit and veg every day. Maybe that's enough for now. Maybe you get up and do your morning routine because that's something that's ticked off for the day and it doesn't impact the rest of the day and you're still sort of starting your day with a positive. That that kind of thing. But then when it gets to the point of overwhelming you, that's mm. obviously too far. And it's totally normal for other things to take priority. I think sometimes in health and fitness, it's like, oh, this should always be a priority. Your health should always be a priority. And it's not saying that you're not prioritizing your health. It's saying that like life comes in seasons and there's at different points, different things will be a higher priority to you. And it's absolutely normal. Mm. And also we would want you to prioritize like your family if you're going through a bereavement at the moment of course we would and then we can mm -hmm. support you during that and get you back on track when you have more time and when you've got more emotional energy as well yeah i think it's it's it's, it's a difficult one because everybody will react differently and everybody will take slightly slightly different times to um to process understand things and to work it from there um so it's really just about I think it's about for, I have to say, I'm, I'm the same as Shona. I'm like, I'm genuinely, head will be completely onto everything. So, um, but I don't really do the the drop at the far end. It's weird. I, I, I don't know. I think I've, obviously I've had um, some stuff when I was a kid and stuff, which kind of I had to deal with at a younger age. So it's just one of these ones where you just, for me, it's, it's in, it's boxed up. I don't need to deal with it anymore. But it's but it's the same thing like i was it's quite funny i've been watching a series on um amazon called bosch i don't know if others have watched it. it's about a guy it's a michael michael connelly books about a detective and he was like when, when do these things when did you're always going to carry them so it's about being able to understand and deal with it as it comes and then as soon as you're ready you'll know when generally know when the time's right it's the same when you always get the people saying about oh you know how how do you know if i'm making excuse or how do i know if i'm making excuses well you'll know yourself and it's the same thing with us like if you're making excuses you'll know you're making excuses with bereavement it'll be slightly different because you have slightly clouded vision on it because there'll be other things but you'll know when it's ready time to push push a bit harder yeah and also mm. if shane is your coach she'll make sure that you're not self-destructing and leaving it too long no. um I wouldn't recommend Andy's advice on just bottling things up and then like leaving them there. Uh, might work for some people, but I just find generally it's not a great idea. No, <laughs> maybe it'll all come out in one giant explosion. <laughs> one giant jobby. I think it's just it's about dealing. I just find that I deal with stuff better like that. Not I'm not I'm not holding on to it. It's now it's finished. It's gone. But like you part compartmentalize it for a bit, and then I'll deal with it at some other point. Yeah, it's just a, a coping strategy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but so but like it's, it's exactly the same as like being mega busy as a coping strategy, right? You're kind of delaying it, yeah. and I think it's often why people overeat in the evenings and things because they're like. I'm bottling up all this emotion all day, just keeping busy. And then as soon as I have time to sit down and actually process that, I'm like, oh, I don't want to feel that. So I'll numb it with food. It's the yeah. same kind of patterns. Yeah. It's a really good question though, isn't it? It is a very good question. I think ultimately, like, 
do these things as long as they're like not destructive. Do them because they make you feel good. And then anything on top of that is a bonus. So, yeah. Um, okay, next question. This is another big one. Um, so I know the theory around calories, energy balance, neat, weight training, etc., but still don't manage to buckle down to sustaining good behaviours. Why? Could you explore the psychology around this? What actually gets in the way? Why do we knowingly choose to do the wrong things and then feel shit about it? I think it's something to do with the monotony of daily life and food being the only quick hit of comfort, perhaps that and the lack of time to get organised. So I just did a whole podcast on this. Oh, did you? Yeah, it's the question, because I got a very similar question and it was like, why do like why do I know what to do, but I'm not doing it? And, and I'd like short version, because it's hard. Like it's way easier to know what to do. Most people know what to do. And actually information is so readily available that actually the knowing isn't the hard part, like actioning it is hard. And I think instead of kind of questioning why it's hard, like, of course it is. Like anything anything worth having is somewhat hard, somewhat difficult. And the reason that most people don't achieve what they're looking out to achieve is because they, they almost see that as an excuse not to do something. Oh, it's hard, so I'm not going to do it. Whereas if you're like, oh, it's hard, then that kind of excites me because it means that A, the reward is going to be bigger and B, most people won't do this. So if you're looking at this like outside of like body composition and fat loss, things that are hard most people don't do so if you're looking to be successful in anything like do the hard thing because you're already going to put yourself ahead of 90 percent of people because they'll just give up when it's hard and if you can actually push into hard things you're going to be so much further ahead in life just generally but yeah like knowing is it's the same reason that like people know that smoking gives them cancer and yet they still smoke or they know that not going to the gym will increase their risk of cardiovascular disease, but they still don't go to the gym. Like we do it all the time outside of fitness as well. It's like, I don't really want to put money into a pension. Cause I'm like, Oh, old Emma will deal with that. Like not having any money when she's old. Like you, you're looking for the immediate reward all the time. And anything that requires delayed reward is by definition quite hard to do. So I think it's part of it is like reframing how you think of these things and instead of resenting the process try and enjoy the process and I, I feel like I talk about this all the time at the moment but I think it's just clicked for me recently that if you enjoy the process like you've already won and actually you don't need patience if you enjoy the process so like one of the things that trips everyone up is impatience like looking to get results quicker and then inevitably dropping calories too low or trying to find shortcuts that aren't there if you can just sit back and enjoy the journey and yeah, do all the things, but don't resent them and don't tell yourself that you're waiting to get to X weight to be happy or you're waiting to get to X body composition before you can wear a bikini or anything like that. You're just living your life while working towards your goals and actually enjoying it. Then you're not wishing time away before you, like, until you get there. And then you don't need as much patience because you're like, Meh, when it comes, it comes, but great because I'm living my life and I'm enjoying it now. Like I've got massive goals, but it doesn't mean that I'm waiting until I get there to enjoy life like I love my life at the moment but it doesn't mean that I'm not still working towards something else and I think there is even if when questioned you're like oh yeah that makes no sense there is still this kind of narrative that you're waiting for something or you're trying to like bully yourself into change or even the point of if you want to change you must dislike where you are I think a lot of people still like even if it's deep down think that to an extent like oh if you want to 
change something, that must mean that you don't like where you are now. And I don't think that's true. Anything else? Yeah. <laughs> totally agree. I think that's great. Like, and I'm so excited to listen to that podcast that you recorded. It's up now. Oh, great. And I think it's quite short because I just did it on my own. Well done. It was my 300th episode. I know. The big three zero zero. Yeah, mm. the big three zero zero. <laughs> Right, okay, I'll read out the next question and then I'm going to mute myself because I'm just going to give Cormac a cuddle after this. Right, okay, so here we go. Um, Hi, I wish I had a really cool science anatomy question that would be the magic moment when everything clicks. You should have a drink every time the answer to a question is create a deficit. Do you you sense when a person will be successful with their goals versus struggling? Yeah, I can tell. I wouldn't say that people who are successful don't struggle though. I think that's something to to question. So I don't think those two are opposites, but if the question was turned into those people who are going to succeed and those people who are going to not succeed or not get to the goal, then yeah, I think attitude is everything. Like if you've got someone who maybe does struggle, but when they struggle, they come to us with, I'm struggling with X, what do you think I should do about this? Or I've injured myself. How can I work out a way to train around this? Or like, here's a problem. Can you help me find a solution? Those people get results. But the people that have, like, to be honest, and people really resent, like, or back up when I say this, but a victim mentality don't get results. Like if you, if you kind of don't have that, your own like locus of control there of actually, I'm, I am the master of my own ship. My actions will dictate my results. If you don't have that and you're kind of like, victim of circumstances that happen to you and you're not you're reacting to life as opposed to responding to life in a meaningful way then yeah it's really hard to get results in anything yeah no i totally agree i think you do you kind of get a you can get a kind of get an idea of people who will who'll who'll push it and make the most of it and it's you know we say this regularly like being positive and attacking life is a choice it's not something that you're going to stumble upon it's not something that's going to come easy um and exactly as you said, Emma, I think, you know, the people that respond still, you know, they, they, they know that that's going to be hard work. They understand it's going to be hard work, but they want they want to find a solution. It's when people start, start making, this is when you start making excuses. And I've got all these different excuses. You can kind of tell when somebody's just like, oh, I'm not, I, I've not got the fight for it. And it's, it's, it is frustrating as a coach to, to hear that. And it's about us to try and help turn that around. And in many, many circumstances, you can do that and you can get people to look at it from a different angle and become more positive. And, you know, hopefully what we do with what we put out on podcasts and social media helps people become a bit more positive about things and kind of gives you a bit more of an idea about sort of attacking it rather than letting it overwhelm you. Like we had this conversation in the podcast that we did last where, you know, like I've obviously decided to destroy my knee again and I could quite easily have taking it badly and just went oh christ almighty i don't want to do anything but i didn't i've i've took a week off training i decided that business planning for something else that i'm working on just now is taking precedence and i'll tell you what in the last week and a half i've made some serious fucking strides in it so you know it's it's all about positivity it's about looking for that sort of chink of light when shit's trying to get on top of you you just try and fight through or when the job is coming at you you've got to look for the the clear space of water (laughs) 
It's about being proactive, right? Yeah, yeah you know, I love the way that you've dealt with it, Andy, because not only have you, like, you've been so positive, but you've not been telling everyone how positive you have been. Cause you know how some people are like, I will adapt and overcome. Like, look at me, I'm doing great. Like, you've just literally just taken it in your stride. Um, if if you're listening to this and you think that you might be that person that we're talking about, like this sort of glass half empty, like you, as someone just said, you can be proactive, like you can actually change your mindset. And there are like things that you can do every day to to try and change your mindset. And for me, like I think that actually practicing gratitude and it sounds so like wanky yoga teacher, but literally just looking at your life and seeing all the good things that you have rather than looking at your life and seeing all the challenges that you have. Because so many people with that victim mentality are like, I've got kids who wake me up in the middle of the night. I've got a job that stresses me out. I've got a partner that whatever doesn't help. But someone else could be like, I've got children that make me laugh and smile every day. I'm really lucky to have a job and security. And my partner is there for me, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just looking at it in a different way. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And it actually kind of annoys me when people complain constantly about their kids. I'm like, you don't know how many people would give anything to have kids and for you to constantly use it as like, yeah, as an excuse or as a reason or or just as a negative. And this is what we talk about with stress as well. Like everything that you think is stressful in your life is because you care about it. Like if I took away all your stresses, you'd have nothing left. So actually, if you're saying, oh, my kids are really stressful, it's really stressful that I've got a house, a mortgage I have to pay for. Like, I'm not saying these things aren't stressful, but they're positives. Like, you must be able to find positives in those. And like, as Andy's saying, Mm -hmm. there's always a positive to like doors closing as well. There's a finite amount of time that you have, right? So if one door closes, it's like an opportunity cost. If you can no longer play football or you can no longer train for a week, what can you do with that time, that energy? Can you put that into something positive? I'm not saying it's always easy because there's obviously emotional attachment to getting injured or the fact that you love football and now you won't be able to play. But like there is still that positive opportunity that you can do something else with that time. And can you channel that into something that you also care about that maybe you didn't have time for previously? Yeah, totally. Okay, um, I'm trying to reduce instant gratification, mainly food. However, struggling to balance telling myself no with feelings of being deprived and becoming fixated on that thing. Any tips to help with this? I usually tell myself I can have it if I still want it in the morning, but still feel very fixated on it, usually sweets. I I like the bargaining thing. I actually didn't realise how much I do that with myself. Not so much about food, just like, generally like always sort of like bargaining with myself which is interesting um I also think just changing your wording instead of saying you can't have something like I'm choosing not to have this because it doesn't align with my future goals or my goals at the moment that it's really really simple but it's just a different way of talking to yourself like it's not that you can't have it and like reiterating I have unconditional permission to eat whatever I want whenever I want but it's my choice right now that I'm not having it if I still want it in the morning, yeah, I'll have it. But actually, I don't need it right now. I've had a great day of eating and there, that. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think it is important because the same actions can have very different like resulting consequences depending on the mindset with which you make those choices. So if you are saying, 
I can't have that because I'm on a diet and I don't like I don't want to have it because I'm on a diet or um, yeah in in comparison to I'm choosing not to have that which is my choice Mm -hmm. because I want to get these results feels very Mm -hmm. different yeah I I love puck yes but I think sometimes like you can have too many puck yeses like of course I'm going to say puck yes to every slice of cake that comes my way so like yeah but so there's a there's another theory behind this which is also from Mark Manson and it kind of relates like I'm going to push them together but he says that you only have so many pucks let's say you only have so many pucks to give right so you can't basically his point is you can't really care about everything so actually you know if everything was a puck yes it's not you've just set the barrier too low so you just move up your barrier of puck yeses you know so it's only like it should be a special occasion or it should be something that you really want and realistically you don't really want everything no no and also like i love that um thing that you see emma like is like you if you had a toddler you wouldn't let them have all the sweets all the slices of cake you wouldn't let them say puck yes to everything so there has to be like an element of discipline parent your damn self i got that from mel robbins love it right we're ready for another question yes okay I remember reading once that alcohol slows down fat loss. Is this true? As in, you have alcohol in your system, your body will work on getting rid of that first before it works on getting rid of fat. Andy, thoughts? Um, I think a lot of the stuff that comes with alcohol is actually the stuff that's the, the offshoots of alcohol rather than the alcohol itself. It's the bad decisions. And that's not on a night out when you end up going home with someone that you shouldn't. It's more the picking the dominoes for the next day, um, lying in your bed the whole day, not getting anything done, um, and the sort of the issues that comes with that. Because let's be fair, you're not going to be having chicken salad on a hungover day. It's generally not going to be the first thing on your mind. It's the stodgy, um, instant hit foods that taste good. Um, and unfortunately, they're generally pretty calorie dense. So, yeah, it's the decisions around that's main for me is probably the, the biggest issue. Um, yeah, I think if you account for the calories and alcohol, you still lose fat if you're in a calorie deficit. So I wouldn't overthink it. The other impact it can have is on muscle protein synthesis um, and reduces the anabolic response of exercise. So that's kind of blunted. So in terms of like recovery from exercise, bad time to drink alcohol. That was one of the main things that made me want to stop drinking. So I was like, I'm spending so much energy, like trying to build muscle and look athletic. um, And then literally just drinking it all the way. Uh, And it just seems like you're just um, setting yourself back by drinking alcohol, especially if your goal is to have that, like to build muscle. I assume you haven't had any alcohol at all. Me? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm, I'm back on it. Oh, are you? Oh, aye. <laughs> a year and a half is enough. But obviously, like, having been off it for such a long time has definitely improved my relationship with it. And also, like, my rule is now, if I'm going to have a drink, it has to be, like, the highest quality, most tastiest puck yes. possible 
yeah like it has to be like champagne or really fancy gin or whatever yeah blue wicked md 2020 no none of that <laughs> <laughs> none of that and you look so disappointed in me. <laughs> no, no. I, like, like, honestly, like, I've been teetotal for 20, 20, 21 years in October. Um, and I still have no issue with folk drinking. Like, it has, it's no bearing on what I do. Um, like, Laura Laura really enjoys a nice, like, same, a nice gin and tonic and stuff like that. Um, but I just never liked the taste of it. So, like, my choice was nothing to do with um mine was to do with like my performance in the gym and feeling out i was pretty um i'd put a lot of weight and stuff on just because it's standard student life but genuinely like everybody always used to say oh you'll find your drink and i'm like i still no nah, i don't never ever find my drink I, um i can always taste it funny after 21 years of being teetotal you haven't found your drink i know funny that eh? That's <laughs> it's called raspberry pepsi mix I'd say that you haven't been trying hard enough. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something I have. Yeah, I've, I've, I've let the side down with that. Uh, okay. Uh, I've been working my way through the podcast and Pelvic Floor has been mentioned a few times. I don't do anything specific for this at the minute, but should I be? I don't want to get older and wee myself mid-squat. So what I responded to this person, like I've been talking a lot about pelvic floor because I've just had a baby and there's lots of people in commit six and committed blah, 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 who've had babies and stuff like that. Um, and then Andy, did you not talk about pelvic floor for a bit? I thought you were to say if I had the baby, yeah. I've, um, yeah, I, yeah, I was doing a bit of work with pelvic floor because I was getting um, adductor issues. So I was getting a, a issues with my hips and adductors and stuff. So I had to do a bit more pelvic floor work. Mm. Um, so basically what I said to this person, unless you're having any symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction, so um, if you're like wetting yourself when you cough or when you do a box jump or when you laugh or when you skip. Sometimes um, I wee then... a little bit when I laugh. Right, okay, well that's a, that's a symptom of pelvic floor dysfunction. No. So... Or it might just be that you're hanging around with some extremely funny people. <laughs> Me yeah. and Shona being them to show. Exactly. Um, so if you have any of those, then yes, you should probably be doing pelvic floor exercises. But if not, then you don't necessarily have to worry about it. Um, but then, like, do you know what I find so interesting? The fact that, like, tenor lady and things like that are so normalised. Like, it, it's just assumed that when you get old, you're going to have to use tenor lady because you'll wet yourself. When actually, I, I don't, don't agree with that at all. Like, I think you should be an old lady and, and be able to not wait yourself. Well, but, it's um, treating the symptom, not the cause, isn't it? Yeah, they're thinking about um, bringing it into schools, like as part of like, um, like you know, sex education period oh, yeah. stuff, like bringing um, pelvic floor exercises in for girls at school. I saw that in the news recently. Good oh, good oh. Yeah. We do go through little phases yeah. of talking about things, don't we? Mm. We well, do, yeah. Shona, who I, Shona uh, Lindsay was telling me that that was a, a, an interesting one that she 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 did a a course on pelvic floor and stuff, and she the, the instructor was telling them that they reckon that there'll be a generation around about probably you guys um, that will have more pelvic floor issues because of the fact that so many more females are in the gym lifting, and it's to do with the pressure that you put on yourself without 
strengthening your pelvic floor. So loads of folk do stuff that ends up weakening their pelvic floor because you're obviously pushing against force. Um, and it's about being able to strengthen the pelvic floor. But again, you can also go the opposite way and have a, a pelvic floor that's too strong and it ends up you, like virtually stopping you from having a pee. So you kind of have to be aware of, it like sort of chokes things up. So you kind of have to be aware that you don't go too far and go the opposite direction. There's a happy medium. Yeah, um, that's the thing with, um, with lifting belts because the lifting belt, obviously the point of the lifting belt is that you're meant to like push against it. But yeah. that energy goes somewhere and quite often the energy goes down so you end up pushing down um and that's why a lot of people when they're deadlifting really heavy or squatting really heavy with a lifting belt on they'll pee because yeah. that pressure is pushing down and that's the sort of thing that can really weaken it um but yeah as Addy said it can also be like hypertonic so it can be too strong um and it can also have the same symptoms like you'll still wet yourself uh but yeah um if you want any if you want to just chat about that, you can always message me if it's something that you're worried about. Yeah. Okay. That's the creatine lorry just coming past again. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm giving this 100%. I hit steps, calories, protein. While I'm trying to stay focused on today, I have started to worry about if this is something that I can keep up long term. Like currently work is more flexible and we have more daylight for walks, etc. Maybe it's just my own self-doubt creeping in. I think that's totally normal. And in some ways, I'm really happy to hear this because you're thinking about long term. You're not thinking this is the six weeks and then I'll just go back to how I was living before because then obviously you won't be able to maintain those results. But everything is like manageable, right? So, yeah, let's say it does get a lot darker and you need to reduce your step count slightly. Fine. Maybe by that time you've actually lost the fact that you wanted to lose, so calories don't have to drop anyway, but your expenditures dropped a little bit. This is why you have coaches, so that you know as life changes, as things changes, maybe work gets busier for a period of time. We can help you manage those things, so that you can still fit in exercise, getting activity levels in, hitting all your targets around your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought I thought everything had paused there for a second. No, I think you, if you're you're doing that, I think the biggest the biggest one that you can work on alongside that is just being flexible. You know exactly there is like you know um, the whole point at the moment is is that you, because you wanting to make this a long term change, you need to realise that flexibility within mm. what you're doing needs to be apparent. So. When you go back to, you know, there'll be many people who will have to go back to work or potentially go back to work in an office. You're going to have to start working your day around those things. So, you know, you may have a little bit less time to, to do certain things. And it's about being flexible enough to not let that knock you off your perch whilst you're still achieving stuff. And just making being flexible enough to change things um, ad hoc. So we say this all the time, you know, that there's, you know, there'll be times when life gets in the way, you know, things happen and you just need to be, you need to just be, understand that the process is long term, which means that you can be flexible. Like I've I had a couple of check-ins today with um, someone was like, oh, I feel like I've, I've got a weekend where I've got um, like, I've got my own birthday, my partner's birthday, somebody else's birthday. And I was like, well, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you can go out and you can do these things. You do need to realise that your goal being fat loss may be going to be slightly blunted by the fact that you've gone out. But we're working long term. So you go this weekend, you're back on business on Monday, you get back to it. And it's just about being flexible enough to understand that and not let 
the change in routine throw you because so many people that works that that seems to be the the freak out for so many people is my routine's about to change so change your routine to fit it like let's that's me sounding really blase about it but that's it's true like if your routine changes your routine will change to fit around to fit around what else comes in your way so and that's about that's long-term thinking that's long-term thinking about if something pops up you change to adapt yeah and i think remembering that it's averages over time like that example of a really busy weekend with loads of people's birthdays fine like that won't impact your that might impact your fat loss this week but it's not going to impact it over the month so just like remembering the bigger picture and having a bit of perspective as well is really really important yep totally agree guys and that's the last of my questions i have one okay perfect this is this is quite a good one um is there any relationship with being out of control with money and out of control with food do people who tend to eat with in normal parameters also stay in control of their finances? No idea if there's an answer, but I think it'd make a good research project question. I'm just as shite with money as I am with food. <laughs> I think like there must be because like there's people who like it depends what you mean of uh, shite with money. Like, are you more likely to take risk? Are you like someone who is like sort of not thinking of the long term? Are you someone who's like throwing it away? Like it, it depends on what you mean by that. But I, I assume that it would be because it's like a personality type, isn't it? Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> <Did> you- <laughs> that's you, Shona. Don't blame the baby. Um, I think um, potentially, but I think it probably would be masked by the fact that like some people are born with more money, and there's so many like so many things about money that you learn from your parents, and I think. It, and and like likewise, so many things about food that you learn from your parents. But I don't know if there would be that much of a correlation. I know some very rich people who aren't very good with their nutrition, and some people who aren't very good with their money, but nail it with their nutrition. I do think there is probably an element of people being like quite organised with both, and there maybe is some kind of correlation. But there's probably also so many confounding factors, like how much money you were born with, and stuff like that um but it is interesting though and i was thinking actually andy as you were talking like so much of being adaptable to routine comes from your trust in yourself that you're like i think a lot of the stress around a change in routine is worrying that you won't be able to adapt and once you realize like how versatile you are and you start trusting yourself and you start you start being like yeah you know what i do have a lot to do it is a lot but I never let myself down and I always get it done. So I will always get it done. And like, we all go through things like this. Like sometimes at the launch of like Commit 6, I'm like, there's so much to do. And I'm like, oh, I feel a bit stressed. And then I'm like, I always get it done, always. I've never let myself down on that. So it will get done. And and the same is true like with changing your routine. You're like, I'll find a way to do it because it matters to me. It might take a couple of weeks of me figuring things out or it might take a couple of days of me figuring things out and I might need a bit of support to do that. But I'll find a way because fitting in exercise is important to me. Yeah. I think it was the same in the, the last podcast. We talked about sort of the, the difference in between people who will handle tough love and who won't. It's about the confidence thing, isn't it? It's that confidence in yourself that you can handle these things. And as I say, you know, it's not going to be an instant like changing routine's not going to be an instant fix. You're not going to find the you're not going to find the solution to that changing routine 
in like the, th- the five minutes that you've just been told that everything's going to be flipped on its head. It's going to take a bit of time. It's going to be take a bit of time to work it in. And again, exactly why you have coaches that you know you can ask ask questions. How do how do you think I can fit this in? Where do you think I can do this? And just working around it like that. Yeah, and I think so much of building that confidence and trust in yourself comes from internalizing the wins that you're already doing like look at you now like what are you doing now that you can internalize that you're winning because we're so good at internalizing losses but we're not good at internalizing wins like you might have six days of nailing everything and then one day where you didn't hit your steps and you're like i didn't hit my steps today i'm so annoyed at myself and actually you don't really celebrate the six other days that you did hit your steps so you need to start like celebrating your wins as much as you beat yourself up about your losses all right well that was lovely thanks guys thank you so much you are welcome andy do you want to do the the very professional outro pop us pop on to wherever you get your podcast from wait 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 a rating can you do it in a posh accent please okay if you would not mind popping onto wherever you get your podcast from, maybe iTunes on Apple and giving us a little rating. Uh, a star would be fantastissimo um, because it gives us more clarity and is able to see from other people. And I didn't even make any sense. That was, no, that was absolutely fantastic. Let's go pure Scottish. Like, pure script on that one. Giza podcast rating. Yeah, absolute weapon, yeah. <laughs> Five stars. Do you know what? Weapon's a good Scottish word, isn't it? Helmet as well. Yep. Okay, thanks guys. Bye.